giant cacophony tells you that you're back with the power of three podcast it's a doctor who podcast that looks at life the universe and everything but always through a doctor who lens i'm kenny smith and i'm on my own today but i'm actually going to be joined by some friends before too long as we're starting a special mini series looking at the new releases from target those doctor who novelizations that kept us happy in the 70s the 80s early 90s and more recently in the past few years. And we're going to kick off with the first one to be released by BBC Books. Under their imprint, it is The Star Beast by Gary Russell. What does the back cover have to tell us? A life-changing encounter. A fugitive from the stars. Wrathful warriors in pursuit. Landing on Earth, the Doctor finds a stranded alien in need of protection and is dragged headlong into the life of his old friend Donna Noble knowing that if she ever remembers their time together, she will die. Oh dear, that's not very good, is it? And before we continue, let's hear an excerpt from it, read by our pal, Jacqueline King. Stu Ferguson pulled the collar of his coat up around his neck and shivered as he walked through the night on his way to his overnight cleaning job at the steelworks. Weird thing was, it hadn't been cold a few seconds ago, but as he'd passed Black Castle Passage just now, a gust of wind had whipped around him and surprised him. OK, Camden at the start of winter was never the warmest part of London at the best of times, but that had been a very sudden blast of icy air. Stu realised it had faded away, and he tentatively pulled his collar back down, peering up Black Castle Passage a small muse-like walkway which led to the back entrances of many of the shops that ranged along the main street. He was quite surprised to see a tall, thin guy in a long blue coat, hands in pockets, whistling to himself, strolling towards him, his brown hair blowing slightly in the breeze. Odder still, Stu thought, was that massive blue box behind him. Stu could normally see the back doors of the shoe shop from this angle, but tonight that weird blue box was in the way. Stu thought it looked familiar. And then it hit him. His granddad had been a copper back after the war, and his mum used to have a photo of him on the mantelpiece, standing outside a box like that. They used to be called police boxes. Surely no one made police boxes anymore. So what was this one doing there? That your box, mate? He found himself asking the thin man. Uh, I'm sorry, said the man, his voice betraying his most likely South London origins. Oh, that box, no, uh, that box, nothing to do with me. Uh, oh, no. Then he threw a look directly back down the passage at the box. Because if that was my box, it wouldn't have just kicked me out. It wouldn't have dumped me here and locked its doors without so much as a... The man stopped as he realised Stu was gaping at him. Sorry, I tend to go on a bit. Stu had a sudden feeling of, what did they call it, déjà vu. Had he met this bloke before, maybe working at the steelworks? Nah. So maybe he'd been a customer back in his milk round days. 
There was something tickling on the tip of Stu's mind about him. Oh, well. You all right, mate? Stu asked. Yeah, fine, no problem. Stu smiled. Missus kicked you out, yeah? My ex did that once. My mate Billy says... The stranger didn't seem to be listening, and instead just interrupted Stu's train of thought. Oh, I'm in London. He flicked his tongue out a couple of times like a lizard. Tastes like the 21st century. He looked over at a shop. It was empty, boarded up, but Stu could still see the name on a faded sign above the door. Megabyte City. Went out of business donkeys years ago, Stu said to the stranger. That time all them planets appeared in the sky. Stu sighed. Lost my job that day, you know. I was a milkman back then, and... Planets? In the sky? The stranger seemed very dismissive. One of those it never happened lot, are you? Well, it did happen, Stu said angrily. Cost me everything. Lots of people died, and... The stranger suddenly touched Stu's arm. It's all right, he said softly. It was a long time ago. And Stu felt curiously relaxed. He smiled. Yeah, yeah, it was. Right, anyway, mate, got to get off to work now. And feeling relaxed, no, really, really relaxed, for the first time in, well, as long as he could remember, Stu Ferguson felt good. Tonight's shift would be okay, he reckoned. Yeah, nothing could upset him now. And Stu wandered off whistling. He hadn't done that in years either. As the man left, the doctor shoved his hands back into his coat pockets and with one last wistful look back at his TARDIS, stepped out into the busy street. Things had been weird. That was probably the best word. Then again, it always was after his body had gone through that strange metamorphosis his people called regeneration. One minute he'd been a blonde woman, standing on a cliff top. The next, bang, a flash of golden regeneration energy, and he'd become a tall, gangly man. Thanks for that, Jax. And of course, thanks to BBC Audio for their permission to use the clip. And it's available now from all good bookshops and, of course, online as well. So, let's carry on. Without further ado, let's find out how these novelizations came about. And let's say hello to our first guest today. Hi, I'm Steve Cole. I am the editor of the Target novelizations. You certainly are. So here we go. You had a whole new bunch to commission. So how did they all come about in the first place? Well... When we were in the early stages of deciding what to be publishing against the new series, it was um, suggested to us that uh, Target's become a part of this. Um, originally, Russell T. Davies wanted them to be publishing pretty much simultaneously with the episodes. Um, but remembering the five doctors in 1983 and the way the novelization came out ahead of the uh of the transmission by a couple of weeks i was thinking no oh, this is gonna yeah just leave us leave us in, in potential trouble of course these days things have changed so we were able to put the ebook out much uh, much closer to transmission but it was safest to uh, leave the um the print versions until yes they, they had uh, transmitted so it was um 
It's very exciting. And uh, Cardiff had their own requests for who did those novelizations, which kind of spared me having to um, <laughs> let anybody down or tell oh, no, sorry, it's not you on this occasion or whatever. So uh, they, they asked and got their first choices. So it was always going to be Gary doing the Star Beast, Mark doing Wild Blue Yonder, and James doing the Giggle. Fantastic mix of authors in there as well, and uh, each bringing their own things to the to the table. So, I suppose the thing for you is that this must have sort of taken away the element of surprise about what was coming in November. So, you had these <laughs> manuscripts through what must have been what last summer, something like that. Yes, yes, in the uh, the spring, as I recall. So, and again, it's it's like old times because back when the new series started in 2005 under Russell. Back then I had the scripts because I was writing uh, Eccleston's first original novel. And so it was, yeah, there was a real feeling of nostalgia for that, really, with, uh, with Russell being back and looking at scripts in advance and looking through and thinking, well, how are we going to um, approach these as novelizations and present them as a, as a different experience? for the Doctor Who fan. So it was interesting and led to some interesting chats up up front. And how did it feel getting to see these new adventures before you'd seen them on screen? That was that was there was there partly a oh element, but at the same time, yes. I was gonna say it was mostly yes. Um, there was <laughs> only only fractional. Um, but the thing is, because you're looking at things in advance, you're seeing an earlier edit, which is missing final effects, which is missing its proper music, which is missing, uh, and in all the way through, that's like you know, it's annotated with with things that need to um, be added in post production. So you're seeing a version of it, just as when you read the script, you're imagining a version of it in your head so when you finally do get to see the finished product going out on bbc one uh, on your telly at home it's another experience altogether and it's just fascinating seeing um how uh, you know how it develops i mean i was really gobsmacked with the uh, the standard of the uh, effects for example but it was uh, particularly welcome because during uh, the jodie whittaker era yeah, yeah, we hadn't been allowed to see anything in advance they were very, very <laughs> tight-lipped about what was happening, uh, what was coming up in Jodie's time, which made it difficult to um, schedule particular books for it. So after the first novel, original novels we did for her, which those were done seeing only most of the script of episode one, we weren't allowed to see any actual footage um, and had to work with the um, the uh, script liaison people to uh, check that we were getting our versions of the <laughs> the Doctor and her fam accurate. So it was wonderful to be in a position where you are allowed to read the script and you're allowed to watch uh, roughs and just made working with the authors so much easier because we've seen the same thing and we know what we're <laughs> what we're dealing with. So what can you tell us about the Star Beast with Gary? Well. My first time working with Gary Russell was right back at the beginning of my uh, Doctor Who book experience in 1997. It must have been early 97. We got a Business Unusual and uh, from then on uh, worked with Gary regularly on the novels. It was always uh, good to have a Gary Russell book on the list. 
and so yeah it was actually lovely i was really pleased that uh that he'd he'd got this and he wanted to approach it in an interesting way with um adding the little cutaways between chapters and really getting into uh the heads of the characters we were seeing and uh and fleshing them out and embellishing so yeah it was it was nice to be uh trip back on a on a creative back and forth with Gary <laughs> always some lively editing moments but uh always come out of them smiling and I'd imagine that the likes of you and I were the sort of people who spotted Cinenet straight away oh yes yes and Cinenet was uh takes me right back to my job interview for Doctor Who in 1997 where I had to uh comment on the synopsis of Business Unusual as part of my uh application so i was like thinking, yes i can show off that i know what that this is an anagram of nestines and then i thought why am i excited that i'm showing off that this is an anagram i know this is an anagram of nestines but, but uh yes one accepts one accepts and expects a certain level of uh of that playfulness from the pen of mr russell and particularly sylvia gets some really good character development as well Yes, she does indeed. I mean, there are times when I was saying, can we kind of just prune this back in a little bit for pace? And Kara's like, no, this is the reason I became an author. Um, and was uh, very defensive of it, and rightly so, that's fine. So uh, we were able to uh, arrive at a, at, a, at a version that pleased the two of us. Most definitely. But Steve, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure, as always. Thanks for that, Steve. And hopefully you'll be back with us in the next few days. In fact, I know you will be, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, we're now going to have a chat with the author of The Star Beast, or at least the novelisation, we're not chatting to Russell T. Davis. We're going to speak to Gary Russell, who's done a fantastic job with this novelisation, as well as bringing the script to life. There's some wonderful little interludes in there, such as memos to the MOD regarding Penny Carter. Recognise that name? Proper fans. And... um, plenty of other little bits. There's like messages from the Shadow Proclamation, there's emails, particularly if you notice the name of the net domain, at CineNet. If you're a fan of Gary Russell's work in the long term, then you may well recognise it. And yeah, let's have enough of me and let's have more of Gary. My name is Gary Russell and I have recently novelised Doctor Who The Star Beast. And not sadly, Doctor Who and the Star Beast, which is what I wanted to call it. <laughs> Gary, what was your very first Target novelisation that you remember buying? Look, well, the first Target I ever bought was was Day of the Daleks um, in Woolworths in Maidenhead. Uh, went down, saw it, didn't know what it was, realised it was a Doctor Who book, and got very excited. There was Doctor Who and the Dal- Day of the Daleks, and Doctor Who and the Doomsday Weapon sat next to one another. And I didn't know what the Doomsday Weapon was, but Day of the Daleks I'd heard of and thought, well, that was a television episode. So I went home and read it and read it and then read it again and then read it again. And over the week, I probably read it four or five times thinking, well, this is Day of the Daleks. It's a little different to how I remember it, but I must have forgotten all this stuff. Ah, Little did I realise how imaginative Terence was in those days uh, (laughs) and sort of expanding these things. So I went back the following week with my 25p and bought Doctor Who and the Doomsday Weapon and then realised it was Colony in Space uh, and got very excited because I love Colony in Space. And then the following week I went back and discovered Cave Monsters and Auton Invasion and 
in an exciting adventure with the Daleks. And then I had a real sort of, oh my God, what am I going to buy now? Do I go for the Pertwee's, because Pertwee is God, or do I go for the William Hartnell story that I know nothing about? Absolutely nothing. My only knowledge of this is based on the Radio Times 10th anniversary special and the Peter Cushing movies. So I bought uh, Autumn Invasion and Cave Monsters instead. And that was my pocket money used up for that month. And then I discovered I got more money. I think I must have sort of grizzled slightly at my parents. And I, it wasn't long before I had, uh, before Woolworths supplied me with the Daleks and the Zabi. I loved the Zabi. I thought that was brilliant. And that was the start of it all, really. And then one day, in a completely different bookshop, in the adult section of the bookshop, I don't mean adult as in pornography, I mean as in not in the kids section, um, I discovered Doctor Who and the Crusaders, which I, to this day I've never understood why it was there and not with all the other Doctor Who books in the kids section. So then I bought that, and then it sort of started that ball rolling and before long there were sea devils and there was demons and and there were abominable snowmen and oh off it went and my target life developed from there and it became an absolute love and addiction for the rest of my life that is still going on today which is amazing actually i think i might just work to the explanation if it had been in an adult adult book section could have been all the joanna and richard stuff there we go could have been. I, I, yeah, I suppose so. I don't think people thought about things in those. I can't imagine booksellers even read them. I think it was probably no. just a mistake. I think yeah. they probably just saw Doctor Who and thought, oh, this one's got swords and this is this is a historical. So oh, we'll put it in the in the grown-up section rather than the Zabi, which is sci-fi, so we'll put that in the children's section. Um, yeah. But that was, you know, WH Smith's in Maidenhead for you. They, they actually <laughs> thought that weird way. But WH Smith's in Maidenhead after that one became my main sort of home because they got the sea devils in and they got the demons in and they got everything else in and i was like oh every week i was convinced you see that target books came out weekly and then <laughs> there was this terrible shock that there were no more coming out every single week and i and i couldn't get over the fact that every time i went to smith's there wasn't a new doctor who target book and and this this upset and confused me very greatly when i was sort of 12 years old it was like no hang on a minute I was actually I wasn't twelve. I was much younger than twelve. It was like, hang on a minute, the, the, where are they? All these in preparation titles. Why aren't they on the shelves? How long does it take to prepare a book? If you've told me in that book it's in preparation, surely that means it's out next week. Ah, <laughs> oh, the innocence of youth. Absolutely, and deadlines and such things. So, how did the commission for this one come about? Um, very randomly, uh, I was. Uh, <laughs> I was sitting downstairs and um, it was actually Scott Hancock that contacted me and said, are you busy? And I was like, what, right now? No, I'm watching Neighbours. And um, he said, no, generally, are you busy? And I said, no, not greatly. Why? And he said, oh, nothing. Oh, nothing. And that was it. And I thought, okay. And then about a week later, I said, what was that all about? He went, oh, no, no nothing don't worry about it and then i had a text i think from russell saying would i be interested in doing this and then scott filled me in a bit more and then steve cole rang me up and said now i've got some exciting news <laughs> russell had told me and i was like yes steve yes yes you want me to do the 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 the, the meat and he was like oh okay you already know that um and that was brilliant and suddenly it was like oh my god i'm going to novel i love novelizing things i really do it's such fun and so I was very, very excited. 
and and then it started the sort of obviously the process of trying to work out what we we're going to do with getting access to scripts and seeing pictures and if possible seeing clips and maybe even seeing the whole episode and so that went on and then I just sat down and wrote it and and it was enormous fun and it was nice to be once again back in the sort of Doctor Who clutches of Russell really you felt you know quite, quite tangential but nevertheless it kind of made you feel part of that that sort of little family group that, that Russell and Julie had created all those years ago that I'd been part of and here I was lassoed back in again with a meep. How did the process differ in terms of working from your previous novelization of the TV movie to the Star Beast in terms of what you just mentioned there in terms of getting to see it? Well, well, actually, quite similar, um, which I think is unusual for novelizations. Generally, you think of most novelizations and the chances are you're either novelizing an old story like most of the other target writers are even if it's only a year old or something um or if you're doing a film or something like that you know you might be novelizing slightly after the event with this we were kind of novelizing pretty much i think production shooting had probably finished but i don't think post-production was very underway when we were doing it so it, it was there wasn't much to see at the, the initial point where I started other than the script, which is exactly the situation I had with the TV movie, where, again, I was novelising at the same time that they were shooting. So when I novelised the McGann TV movie, I saw one clip, which was the back of a bus sequence, a back of the ambulance sequence, rather, so I could see what, what Daphne's character looked like and what Eric's character looked like and E.G.'s character and the Doctor. And that was the only visual stuff I had there. With this, initially, I had a couple of photographs that people had taken watching the filming being done down in Camden. And then we were able to see uh, a very early rough cut of the episode. And that was it. That was it after that. And then a couple of times I would say to them, oh, I, I was making notes as I was watching, uh, very rough notes. So I was noting down what clothes people were wearing. I, the, the experience of having done a novelization before meant that I knew what to look out for. I knew I was going to have the script, so I knew the dialogue wasn't important for this viewing. And I knew that, roughly speaking, the sets and and that weren't that important for the novelization because i was visually seeing them and russell's scripts are always so brilliant and descriptive anyway you know and i know how his mind works so you know how these things are going to fit together so my viewing other than going woo, it's and it's wonderful was basically oh that's what donna's wearing that's what the doctor's costume looks like that's what rose is wearing boom boom it was that sort of thing so those are the notes i was scribbling down everything else i could keep in my memory and then there were occasions later on, I'd suddenly think, oh, I wonder what colour the laser beams are coming out of the Wrath Warrior guns versus the unit soldiers at Donna's house and things like that. So you'd ask questions about that and, and try and get answers to those. And Scott would sort of frown at me because he'd have to go and research this stuff. Although he actually knew most of it off the top of his head anyway. So that was quite fun. But yes, it was it was. It was the same as the TV movie in that I wasn't novelizing something I could just sit down and slap a DVD into the t into the machine and watch it at infinitum over and over again to check stuff, which is what most of the other recent Target novelists have been able to do. 
how pleased were you to be given the Star Beast as a fan of the original strip? Ecstatic. I mean, it was the one I wanted to do because it's it's the meep and because it gave me that opportunity to, you know, people will say, what's the hill you're willing to die on? For me, the hill I'm willing to die on is the fact that people keep referring to him as Beep the Meep, which is a complete fan invention and is never in the comic strips. His name is not Beep at all. And so I wanted to set out to make sure that actually stated in the book because it wasn't in the script. Now, stated in the book that Beep is his title and not his name. And then Russell added a line in, in ADR um, along the same lines, because I think I must have whinged probably more to Scott than I did to him about how much it annoys <laughs> me that people call him Beep. And, and so, uh, so <laughs> there's, a, there's an off, off-screen Miriam Margley's bit of ADR where she goes, I'm the most high Beep of all the Meeps. And I was like, yes. That's my sole contribution to modern Doctor Who, is because I made that point in the book. So yeah, it was it was very very exciting, and I love I love the meat. I I love Star Beast, the comic strip. Um, I also have a great deal of love actually for Gary Gillett's sequel in in the nineties, um, which I also borrowed a couple of things from in in the novelisation. The, the, the character of the the name of the Wrath Warrior at the end after Zograth and Zrig have been murdered is the same name as the one from Gary's comic strip. So I just wanted to tie all these these little references together. There's quite a few little references. Uh, I made sure Black Castle got a mention. And and although not obviously Fudge's mum, the description of the old lady that lives at the bottom that Fudge does the bin carrying out for is obviously the description of the original Fudge's mum from, from Star Beast. But things like that. It was great fun. And I made sure, I, and I cleared this with Russell, I said, can I have the mouth bit coming out with the hand on the end and that, that isn't in the TV version, but is in the comics? And he said, oh, yes, put that in. Uh, so I managed to get the, the mouth thing in there, the little things like that. It's great. And because I'm lucky, very lucky, that I have a certain amount of access to Russell when he's not busy, it did mean that I could ask questions like that and not have to keep pestering everyone at Bad Wolf about it. And then sometimes I'm sure it would much rather I went through them and stopped pestering Russell, who was probably meant to be busy writing. But we just have lots of laughs about Star Beast because, you know, so you Russell is lovely. Yeah, Captain Zagran. Zagran, that's, that's, it. that's yeah. it. So that's, that's taken from Gary's Star Beast 2. And there's also yeah. mentioned, that's right, I think I've got the guy, Billy who is fallen asleep listening to the music, but he's watching the, the black and white Lassie film that, that is, features in Gary Gillette's version of Star Beast 2 as well. I particularly enjoy all the mini interludes here, the fact we've got a reference to there's a reference to Penny Carter, the companion who never was. Malcolm gets a reference in there. Your own Seninet from back in the day. All these things. Just uh, uh, the first thing Steve Cole said to me, he, he, said, he said in an email and he just went, I see Seninet's back and I was like yes you're the only person that will probably spot that at this stage um, <laughs> yeah yeah it's fun great fun and I did the little interlude things that sort of I was reading a lot of um, Jonathan Hickman's X-Men books at the time and he does that all the way through those there's lots of little memos and, and back and forth and scientific reports so i thought i wanted to do one of those sorts of things between each chapter but also based very much on uh the making of doctor who the 72 piccolo version so the unit memo is completely lifted from the unit memos 
you know, the layout and everything of that. And Steve Cole said to me, we'll try and get the iMessage text between Sharon and, and Fudge to actually look like the little bubbles you get on, a, on an iPhone iMessage kind of thing. So we had fun with all of those. And I said, they've all got to be in different fonts. And I chose the fonts and then I had to choose some different fonts because they look awful. <laughs> what looks good on an A4 sheet of paper and what looks good inside a Target novel are not necessarily the same thing. And I think Paul Simpson said to me at one point, because he was copy editing it, he went, yeah, that font doesn't work. Let's try something else. Yeah. I also love the fact that you have got Sharon involved in the story, even though she's not involved in the story. It's got to be there. With her married name, of course. I've got one of my my text hoorays from Russell. Hooray for Sharon, he said. (laughs) Yes. Had to get her in there. Absolutely. And what did you think of when you first saw the cover? Isn't it a beaut? Well, I'm a huge fan of Anthony's work. I always have been. Um, When he started doing the Target stuff, I was very excited um, because I'd loved all the stuff he'd done at... um, the Doctor Who experience, and obviously other things in kind of, and of course he's a brilliant designer. He works for Simple Minds, you know. He's one of my favourite bands, and he's their designer, and he's like, this is exciting. So yes, so we had a chat because we'd we talked when he'd done the TV movie novelisation cover. We talked about ideas for that, where I'd said I'd quite like to have the TARDIS in the same position as it was on the Doctor Who in an exciting adventure with the Daleks. So when it came to this, he was saying, right, what do you think, you know? we should we should put on the cover and i said in all honesty all you need is the meep and the wrath warriors and david and donna because that's the story um that that's that's it's as simple and straightforward as that and that's what we got it's a brilliant cover i absolutely love it it's it's very powerful and and the meep is is that weird mixture of cute and dangerous at the same time he did a couple of different alternatives of the front cover which he showed me with different meeps with an angry meep and a violent meep and a really sad miserable meep and then a just sort of generic nice meep and and that's the one i think that the bbc or bbc books ended up going with um but yeah there were there were four or five different versions he showed me where everything was the same but it was just slightly different versions of the meep he's very talented man very very quick I've enjoyed all the recent targets with their white covers to, to sort of match the Achilles ones, the early Achilles ones. But of course, once you get into the Bernard Lodge logo, of course, all the Achilles covers then are coloured backgrounds and coloured spines. So this is sort of like, this is the next step. We've, we've gone into second era of, of Achilles now with, with blue spines and blue backs and blue backgrounds as well. So it's lovely. And I love the fact that they're matte, they're not glossy. Everything, I think, is recycled. It's recycled covers, recycled paper. I think it's really, really important when you're doing books to do that sort of thing. And it makes them stand out and makes them a little bit more modern. I love that. Something else that I was very moved by was the fact that the dedication at the end to some lovely fans who are no longer with us. I think that was a really nice touch to do, particularly as there's a few people in there who I know. I thought at first that maybe either Bad Wolf, all BBC books might say no to that, neither of them did. Uh, in fact, Russell again was very complimentary about it. It worried me. I thought, is this the right thing to do with the first book of the 60th anniversary specials? If I'd done the giggle, it might have felt, I, I don't think I'd have thought, I thought this is the end of these and this is a good place to do it. But then I thought, no, it's too important. I, I really wanted to sort of acknowledge a lot of people who probably would have loved to have seen the Meep on television and just aren't around. I mean, 
if you'd included people I didn't know, uh, that would have been obviously a much longer list. But I, I sort of pinned it down to to friends who who I've lost um, in the in the Who community over the last twenty odd years, and it, it is scary how out of date that book was by the time it got its physical publication because you know both Alistair McFarlane and, and Matt Dale have gone since between the ebook coming out and the print version coming out and you just think yeah the sad thing is it is a list that as we all get older um, is going to grow exponentially year on year out but I just thought it was an important thing to do and so that's why it's tucked away at the back so it doesn't sort of depress you the moment you open the book because I think it's very important to honour some amazing people who weren't here to see it. Absolutely. Let's end on an upbeat note, Gary. You've got all of New Who that's out there. If you could novelise another episode or story, which one would you most like to do? Well, <laughs> there are two answers to that. You're not the first person to ask me that question. Mm-hmm. I would love to do The Stolen Earth and Journey's End because mm-hmm. it's the Tenth Doctor and Donna again, and, and I adore them. Uh, but I would really love to do Power of the Doctor. I thought Power of the Doctor was brilliant. I love Jodie's Doctor. I would love to write for Jodie's Doctor. And so doing a novelization of one of her episodes would be fantastic. And Power of the Doctor, I just thought was utterly amazing. So that would be my number one, I think. I would love to read that. I think it's great fun and telly and my favorite Jodie episode. So yes, I would, yeah. Oh, do you want me to drop Chibs a wee note? See if he'll do it. Give you the rights. <laughs> I, th- I, I think persuading BBC Books to do oh. older novelisations. Uh, I think now they're looking and thinking, right, we're, we're just going to do, do shooting novelisations going forward. And I think it's a shame. There's, there's, there's 15, 16 years now of stories that should be novelised. We should have a complete target collection of everything, just like we did with the classic series. I, I think it's odd that we don't just have a target novel every single month at the moment. There's so many to do. We could throw back to young Gary and he could actually do one a week for effectively a couple of years. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's give Steve Cole a mental breakdown. Hey, Steve, we're going to do a novelization per week and I want to be the new Terence Dix and therefore I'll write all of them. There we go. You answered my question in a more yep. different way than you expected. Yep. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. Gary, thank you so much and thank you for trying. My pleasure. Really enjoyed. Many thanks, Mr. Russell. And of course, we've not discussed it. the final element that really makes this a fantastic little package. It is the cover. So let's take a quick trip down to Liverpool. So I'm Anthony Dry and I I was the illustrator for the latest Target Doctor Who books. Yeah, and I've been doing it since 20... Ooh, 2017? 2018? That's well, I've had a good stint for five years. Yeah. Yeah. 24 yeah. covers in all. 24 covers. Wow. I suppose that when the commission for these came about, that this must have been A, a surprise, and B, an honour. And also this confidentiality and stuff like that was NDAs. Yes, yes. So I hadn't I hadn't really worked on Doctor Who stuff for a while. I did little pieces here and there because a colleague of mine, Stuart Crouch, who's helped me out with these books over time, helps me out with the colouring. 
his work with Doctor Who started to dry up because we used to do the DVDs together, all the DVD box sets and stuff, and that's where we got some of the artwork in place. And I hadn't really done any work for Doctor Who magazine or anything. I kind of dropped out. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, just got an email asking whether I'd be interested in picking up the new Doctor Who Target novels. And I was a bit shocked, to be honest. And I said I'd, you know, be delighted to. Yeah, I had to keep it under wraps for obvious reasons. They, they gave me the list of the books that were going to be released, which was great. Um, so I could start thinking about them. But uh, yeah, I was I was really excited. I was especially excited when it, I found out it, it was Russell T. Davis that had recommended me, which was quite a, a, a privilege. Um, I think he remembered I sent him a Doctor Who cover years ago, and he, he obviously remembered the other bits of artwork. And so he'd, he'd recommended trying try me to Obviously, they wanted to create that nostalgic feel again of the books as a starting point, probably due to the amount of photography they had on a lot of the books at the time. These look quite a lot of... Lee Bynum does a lot of artistic photography, uh, like digital art and stuff, so they wanted a, a different avenue, I think, for these. Um, so, yeah, that's what happened. It was just a, basically an email out of the blue. I, I never thought I'd work on Doctor Who stuff ever again. I mean, the thing that I particularly love, just you know, looking at the Star Beast again, with the fact there's the the Earth in the background, which is very much that Achilles thing of some of those earlier books, like the Ice Warriors and things like that. They've got that, yeah, that, that the Moon Base things like they've got that planetary background, and I suppose that's the the nice little influences you can pick up on and develop and run with. Yes, so so the, <clears throat> they were very keen to. I think they've done a few re-releases of. Uh, Achilles's work for and they'd also got him to if I can remember rightly to do some older older stories but in the new style well in the Achilles style I think Battlefield was one of them I think The Visitation was another one um, and so they were keen to keep that continuation going to, to keep that kind of because they felt it was more of a, a brand mark because it's quite recognisable um, and so when I was tasked with doing that I'd take some of those elements and try and uh, put those elements into each cover that I did and those inconsistencies that you used to find as well. So maybe the wrong type of reference for a doctor. So it might be David Tennant from season, his fourth series rather than his, his first series sort of, sort of thing. And people would pick up on that, but it was quite deliberate. But I'd also pick pictures that were suitable for the cover before they were the, the correct version of the Doctor, if that makes sense. Because I yep. always think the aesthetics are more important than the actual character from the particular episode, if that makes sense. Yeah. They have to stay in print, and when they're in print, they're there locked in for all time. So that's more important to me. Yeah. And I just imagine that you'd have been supplied with a good wee choice of images to try and work with to get them all, to, all together for Star Beast, like a few meeps and things like that. Well, funnily enough, with the, with the, this dispatch, um, it, it was quite problematic, I would say, <laughs> because so they approached me and asked me whether I'd be interested in doing the 60th anniversary covers, which I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do them. Um, but obviously, there's so much secrecy around the episodes that it took quite a while for, for me to... I was kind of issued a brand manager to work with, and they would just pick out images for me, which tend to not like, like I tend to like be able to pick the things that I, I feel I need the, the visions that I've got in my head of, of, of when I see you know 
we want you to do Star Beast, I'll, I'll immediately start getting some images in my head of how, the, how it could look. Um, so I like to go away and find those images myself and find the suitable images. But I was getting hand-picked images and only a couple of them, so I didn't have much variety to work with. Um, and it took a while really for them to unlock, and understandably so, I mean, that they obviously want to protect the 60th anniversary and keep it all under wraps so it's, you know, it's a nice surprise for people. But eventually I got a nice little library of pictures I could work with. But the Star Beast one was, I knew from the off that I just wanted to do like a kind of a, a very montage classic target cover where, you know, it's it's just got, you know, it's a, a kind of a start pointed to, to start pointed to the 60th anniversary. So I'll just do it a lot looser and make it a bit more action packed than the other covers. So I knew I wanted 10 and Ted in the middle and then, you know, everyone else around and kind of all the action. Things That's what I did with that. Yeah, I think with the like the Rarth Warriors just look fantastic, just with all those flames and explosions, those glorious oranges and reds, and just just wonderful. Again, evoking the Ice Warriors to my mind. Yeah, yeah. I I always love the the, the Rarth Warriors as well. I, even in the Dave Gibbons comics, I thought they were the the best thing about that that comic strip. To be honest, I quite like the way they were, you know, very very British, very, very polite. <laughs> and then having cups of tea with the uh, with the lady, the house and all that kind of thing. So I wanted them featured on the cover and I like the design of the new design of them was quite, I think the new design of them was quite faithful to the comics as well. Uh, slight differences were quite faithful. So they were nice to illustrate. And of course the meep had to be the gentle meep. So I wasn't able to, to reveal any of the um like having fire in a gun or, or or have hair fire in a gun or it's fire in yeah. a gun that was kind of like setting the stage for the, the three books because obviously the books are like a little mini trilogy so setting the stage so that one had to be a bit of a montage it's brilliant i love it i absolutely love it and that's been brilliant thank you so much really appreciate you taking the time no worries mate many thanks for your time and and of course steve and gary as well so Doctor Who The Star Beast is available now. It's priced $9.99 in the UK, $13.99 in the US, and in Canada it's $19.99. And you can find out more at www.penguin.co.uk. Well, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We're now going to play it with a song that I think seems quite appropriate, given that the Meep arrives on Earth in their starship. So, of course, once it's crashed... We do learn that starships are meant to fly, so let's go for some Nicki Minaj and starships. And we'll be back very soon with Wild Blue Yonder. Bye. Uh, let's go to the beach, eat, let's go get a wave. They say what they gonna say. Have a drink, clink, found a Bud Light. Bad bitch like me, it's hard to come by. The Patron, oh, let's go get it down. The sound, oh, yes, I'm in the zone. Is it two, three, leave a good tip. I'ma blow all of my money and don't give a I'm on the floor.